0: You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Uh, well, uh, Nick. Right, is my next guest, Uh, and he had an encounter with a seagull, which led to uh, some life-changing decisions. Nick is an experienced psychologist, uh, or psychological coach is the term, trainer and organisational development consultant, and he's worked in 14 countries and published over uh, 100 articles. So, So Nick, you haven't been twiddling your thumbs over these recent years, have you?
1: Yeah, that's right, Blair. Um, Thank you, and um, hi to all of your listeners as well. i spent most of my life working in international development organizations, hence the opportunities to work in different countries.
0: Now, you you, you said in, in, in your bio, you've put that this encounter with a seagull, uh, you know, brought about some life-changing uh, uh, <laughs> d- direction for you. Now. I remember the book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. So was it the reading of that book that brought the changes about? Yeah, it was, um, I don't know if many of you around um, here
1: have read the book. It's by Richard Bach. Um, and I was a teenager at the time working in industry in a job that I found quite meaningless, to be honest. I really was bad at this job. Um, and I was working as an apprentice and one of the people I worked with, a guy called Steve, he, um, he'd he done all kinds of interesting things in the world and he was a fascinating character. And one day he gave me a copy of Jonathan Livingston Siegel and he said, this, this sounds like it's the kind of thing that might be of interest for you. So I remember taking that book home and reading it, and I was absolutely blown away by it. Something really stirred in me as I read it. And it's a story about the seagull that he's living the normal life of a seagull. It's like a parable, if you like. And he decides he wants to do something more purposeful in his life, and so he, the way of doing this for him was to try to perfect flight. So he was interested to see how fast he could fly and with such style. And all of the other seagulls opposed him in doing this. I said, you know, you're a seagull, just, you know, catch fish, eat, do the things that novel seagulls do. But this this Jonathan seagull was determined to make his life extraordinary and to do something really different that mattered. And there was something about that story and about that that seagull that really resonated with how I was feeling and wanting my own life to be about something more purposeful and meaningful. So it had a, a very dramatic impact in my um, psychological state, and a lot of the life choices and things that I've made since.
0: So, how old were you when when you first read the book?
1: I I think I was about 17. So um, yeah, in my in my teenage years.
0: Mm. Now, obviously, amongst other things, you're 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 a man of of faith. What, what was your your faith journey like? Did you have any form of Christian upbringing?
1: No, i I think as um as a child I, I always had a sense that God exists and it's I guess that sounds a bit like a rational as um, a sense I think it's probably more of a sense of God's presence of something um yeah real about God that that felt very important to me and I remember when films like Jesus Christ Superstar became popular um, in the 70s and I was as I watched that, I was really struck by, um, again, that sense of um, a life that matters, and when I came to about 21, I was, I was still working in that role in, in industry at the time, finishing my apprenticeship, and I was working with a guy who had become a Christian, and, and I said, well, I'm a Christian as well, and um, I, I remember seeing him reading the Bible at work, which was really unusual in that environment. And um, and he challenged me about, well, you know, what do I believe about God? What do I know about God and such? And I didn't really have an easy way to answer those questions. And so I started reading the Bible for myself. Uh, I was really struck by the book of James in particular and a challenge to, um, to care for people who are poor and uh, living in difficult circumstances. I also remember reading a book called The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson that some may have read. And it was a story of Jesus doing things now among street gangs in the, in the United States in the 60s. And as I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, it's like this, this is more than the God I had a sense of. This is God who is really active and can do amazing things in the world and in our lives now. And that led me to step out in my own faith um, to follow Jesus more radically. And the first step I did there was to, um, the Friends who I became a Christian through became a Franciscan friar. And I went into community development work, so I gave up all my possessions, apart from things I could fit in a rucksack, and moved down to London and in a, in a community development project as a volunteer. And I remember sleeping on the floor in my room. I lived in a hospital, and I was sleeping on the floor to try to identify with people in the world who had so little and um, tried to live as close to the edge as I possibly could, following Jesus, and to
0: see what could happen. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over fifty years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And of course, my very special guest is Nick Wright, uh, who, amongst other things, is an, is an experienced psychological uh, coach, trainer, and organisational development. Consultant, but we'll talk more about that a wee bit later on. Uh, but Nick, if I could maybe uh, just go back to uh, what you were training in, because you mentioned there about about your your apprenticeship. What was that in?
1: Yeah, um, it, at the time it was called instrument artificer, and it's a it's a profession that doesn't exist anymore because it's been superseded by computers. It was working in industry um, on systems which control. Um, yeah, like petrochemical systems and things like that
0: to keep everything working as it should. So, your time in, in that was, was it a time whenever you were searching for the what you really wanted to do in life? Because obviously, you you mentioned about having read the book Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which was really a being about a seagull that's able to soar and not so much go with a flock as it were. And then, of course, you had yeah. you had the revelation of reading the, about the work of, of David Wilkinson and, and hearing about. Uh, uh, other things. Whenever you, w- w- how did you bring those two things together then what you'd read about Jonathan Livingston Seagull outside of the box living as it were and then obviously what you were reading uh, with with your Christian hat on?
1: Yeah I could, uh, and just to say that when I went into that job as an apprentice it wasn't about the job per se, it was to earn enough money to buy the motorbike that I wanted at the time.
0: <laughs> 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 well, practical, um, practical enough Nick. <laughs>
1: I've grown up in a family of motorcyclists and that's that's the world that I still live in, so um, motorbikes played a very important part but when when I read that book, the Jonathan Simpson Siegel, it really made me question, what am I doing? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing in this job? Because this is not where my passion is. I was also no good at it. I was terrible at that job (laughs) Um, So it was about thinking quite seriously about what I should be doing with my life and when I then... um, found Jesus then it's like I now I had a purpose so now I had a focus and a direction and that's why I decided to leave that job and it it wasn't a popular decision at the time with my family and friends because I'd been um, doing part-time in the apprenticeship part-time at college and university and I was just three months from my finals when this opportunity came up to move down to London and work in this community development project so I resigned and three months before the end of five years of study Um, so I can understand people around me thought that was a crazy decision but actually for me it was one of the best decisions of my life so it was a step in faith moving down to become involved in community development work there um, which was a radical difference to the things that I've been doing but now my life felt like it was meaningful the things I was doing now felt like they really mattered
0: now of course that was then uh, to uh, as you say change the direction uh, of, of your life and uh, you got this title psychological coach what what for the all initiated what is all that
1: the psychological coaching thing yes yeah that's um that that's a later development in my in my career if you like but um I I went through various community development and human rights type um, organizations working on different things in the UK and um, outside the UK. And I started working with a charity, which was it was a big social care organization in the UK. And at the time, there was a really big problem with homelessness and young single young single people. And the organization decided to set up a number of hostels for young, single, homeless people. There's about 50 people in total at any one time. But the organization really had no experience in this field. And so it was a well-meaning decision, but also a really bad decision in terms of <laughs> yes. um, all kinds of risks that created.
0: So emotion, would, it be right to say, would it be right to say, Nick, it was more emotionally than practically driven?
1: I think it was, yeah, there was a sense that, well, you know, we, we should do something to help, but without thinking through some of the practical implications of that. And the person who set up the project, they were removed because things went so pear-shaped so quickly. And they put me in charge of this whole thing because I had a background in community development, which is actually very, very different to running uh, <laughs> hospitals. Um, but one of the things I discovered immediately is that people in, in those um, hostels, the, the people who were working there had very little training or experience in that field either. And so I started doing what we would now call coaching with them, because that's something I did have some experience of, trying to help them to think through the issues they were facing to find decisions that would um, improve the safety and the quality of um, care that was being provided. Um. And that, I feel like, was an introductory placement for doing some of these things, which we would now call coaching. Um, And over the years, I then did more and more work in that field. And I did some studies in psychological coaching, which was where my main interest lay. And that's now a focus of a lot of the work that I do these days. But it started from seeing the difference it could make, helping people to think through things, to make wise decisions.
0: It's not uncommon, isn't it, for people to feel very passionate about things and to want to to start things and so on, but actually making a real hash of it uh, because, you know, they sort of, I suppose it's taking time before you build a house to consider what tools and resources you've got and and very much thinking out of the box. I I guess you've probably come across lots of people and organisations like that.
1: Yeah, I, I worked for a few years as a... It was like like a consultant on community development, working for a Christian charity. And the the role of the work was really about helping churches to be more effective in how they engage with communities, and especially with people who are poor and vulnerable in those communities. So there were lots of churches getting involved, which is great, because that's had such a heart to try to, you know, support those people who were experiencing all kinds of difficulties. But sometimes without having really thought through the potential implications of that, and if I think of one example, there was a church that was quite conservative in its theological views, and they um, employed a community development worker to build a bridge between the church and community, and people from the wider community did start coming to the church. Um, but I remember there was an example where a couple came to the church who'd been living together and weren't married and had three children, and the church got into such a tangle about how to, how to address this, because for them, it's like, well, they're living together, they're not married, we need to say something about that. But one of them had become a Christian, the other hadn't. Do we marry somebody who's a Christian with somebody who isn't a Christian and all these things? And they got into such a mess. Um, and it was over something which in some ways is quite common and quite simple in in the wider world, but in the church, they got into such a mess. And eventually they said, we cannot continue working like this. We, we can't find a way through these complexities of working in a a more complex world than the one we're used to, creates for us. And my role in that was effectively uh, somebody there to try to help to think through how they might respond in those situations.
0: And did, did you feel sort of listened to uh, in a way? Because I guess what's coming over to me with that little story, it's like a clash of culture, isn't it? Because obviously, I guess within the Christian world, you know, we, we have our own cultures. In fact, several different cultures, depending on the way that we've been brought up, or the church that we attend, and the theological basis, and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, obviously there's a world out there that live uh, by all sorts of other standards, which are in direct opposition sometimes to what we think or feel. So how how did you you steer them through learning from that experience?
1: So most of the time, rather than um, advising them, because as you say, there's so many different cultural um, perspectives in different churches and beyond. Um, It was helping them to think through what might they do in that situation, what issues was it raising for them, how might they safeguard their own integrity whilst also being open to to difference and such. And in some situations they were able to think it through to new solutions but in others they weren't um, because sometimes there are no simple solutions to these things. The I was thinking, as you were saying that, one of the books which I found in Maurice Himes is one called Caris, C H A R I S, which essentially means grace, by someone called Preston Sprinkle. And what he does is he looks through the pages of the Bible to see how God works in situations where people really are messed up and their lives are messed up. Um, so rather than wanting to only work with people who've got their lives together as we might see that as Christians it's how God works in and through people who whose lives are I guess in many ways like my own a real mess (laughs) and and yet somehow does amazing things through them so that, that kind of spirit of how do we kind of be open to spirit and moving god even in situations that feel really difficult and messy for us was essentially the heart of that work
0: so just to just to remind people about that book so it was it was charis is that c-h-a-r-i-s by did you say preston yep. springfield
1: uh, preston sprinkle
0: sprinkle as in what you'd sprinkle? Yeah, it's an
1: unusual name.
0: Yeah, yeah person sprinkle Challenge, yeah. Uh, chal- challenging, challenging uh, read. But I guess you see this sort of thing because very often I guess th- over the years the churches have moved, and there, there is right at the heart of many churches the want the wanting to be relevant within the community in which they, they are placed and so many things yeah. uh, have happened. But I guess that right at the heart of that is being able to understand the, the people that you're trying to serve and what their real needs are and how you can best serve them, which, yeah. is, of course, is not an easy thing to to deal with, is it?
1: Mm. Yeah, and I guess, you know, m- much, most of the work I've done in probably the last 15, 20 years has been, I mean, in, in in the international arena where you have all kinds of um, different cultural complexities overlaid on top of the different kind of Christian theological perspectives and such. Um, But yeah, working with people who on the whole want to make a difference in the lives of those people who are poorest and most vulnerable and trying to find ways to do that in a way that's authentic to the gospel and prayerfully, so that God, by His Spirit, helps us to find ways to navigate through these complexities. <laughs> um, and it's not always easy.
0: Hope FM, faith filled radio. Well, that's uh, Van Diemen's uh, land there from uh, Rattle and, uh, and Hum, and you two, of course. And, of course, my very special guest is, is Nick. Well, as you heard Nick saying there that he now does uh, a lot of international work. I think it's been 14 countries you've been to, isn't it, Nick?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: Now, you were mentioning there uh, your, your, your partner in, in the Philippines. How did, how did you two meet
1: yeah, that, that was one of these, um, I think, a miracle from God really. About well, about four years ago, um, I was posting various things on Twitter. I was experimenting with various social media channels and um, this person contacted me from the Philippines and they said, would I be willing to offer them some coaching? Because they could see that I was interested in international work, cross-cultural work and also coaching. So they said, would I be willing to be their coach? So I said, well, if there's something I can do that would be helpful, I'd be I'd be happy to do it. So over the next few months, we had this like coaching type conversations. But the more that she told me about her life and the things that she does in her life, um, I just found myself completely stunned by this person and how she lives with Jesus so radically. And it came to a point where I said to her, "You know, I'm really I'm really sorry. I, I don't think I can continue as your coach because." I find myself absolutely stunned by what you are doing and how you are living. And I just keep wanting to ask you more and more things about your world and your life. Um, and then she said, well, do you want to come to the Philippines and see see how it is out here? Because i would worked in various countries in Asia, but not not in the Philippines. So I booked a flight and flew to the Philippines without checking first where the Philippines was on the map. <laughs> um, I was just so keen to meet this person and to see this world that she'd kind of painted a picture of. Um, and then from that time, I've, I've been back, I think, probably four or five times to work with her either in um, urban areas among the poor or in jungle communities among the poor. So the, the emphasis has been how can we how can we find ways to, to do Coaching type support and English support, and um, at the same time sharing something of Jesus in a way that's authentic and real. So that's that's been that relationship there. Mm.
0: I mean, I know that you've worked with a proliferate of organisations. that You know, at tear on the YMCA, there, there's many well-known organisations that uh, that you've worked. Has it always been with that that sort of cultural uh, emphasis? You know, and the sort of thing that you were learning in in the Philippines is that the type of work dealing with uh, with the challenges that are presented, you know, in these many, many countries. And, and of course, dealing with the, this so, sort of uh, immense challenge of, of poverty all over the world.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think the cross-cultural thing started as a child. I think some of these things are maybe wired into us personality-wise because um, as a child, I was always attracted to people who were different. So if we were on holiday, for instance, on a campsite and there were kids there from other countries, I would immediately gravitate to kids from other countries who were speaking different languages. I was intrigued by these different worlds. And um, when I was in school, my best subjects were languages. So, So there's something about difference that really attracts me. And then I think when I became a Christian, I... I was already becoming aware of some of the things which are happening in the world, um, particularly around political oppression and things, which connected my anti-Nazi kind of sentiments. But the more I became aware of some of the conditions people in other countries were living in, the more I was stunned into, "Wow, how can I live like this in this world? How can we live like this when so many people are in terrible conditions? And that's how I then gravitated into the community development work and then from that international development work later on.
0: So what do you think has been the real difference? I mean, obviously, some of the stories that you can tell. I should ask you, because you said that your your partner in the Philippines has a philosophy that she lives and works by. Do you, do you want to share that with us?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's I once tried to capture with her, it's funny, when we're working together, I, I'm because of my interest in psychological things, um, she'll be doing something and I will say to her afterwards, what were you thinking? And she will say, Nick, I wasn't thinking that's what you do. Um, <laughs> I saw a need and I responded to it. Um, so we have this kind of interesting conversation It goes back and forth all the time. And in fact, on my website, um, a couple of years ago, I was interviewed by a secular um, journal, a leadership development journal. And I wrote, um, I wrote up this, this account of what i'd experienced in her and in that context in the philippines and it's on my website it's called a radical heart um and it captures i think well her spirit and how she lives which to me is really um quite dazzling but i but i once asked to i said i'm going to try to feed back to you. this is this is what i'm noticing i feel like as your way of being in the world does that ring true for you because it's not how she would express it mm-hmm. um and, and I wrote it as this, and she said, yes, that, that is it. And this is what she said. So this is taking different things that she says and does and trying to capture it into one thing. But she says, whatever status or power you have, use it for those who are vulnerable. Whatever money you have, use it for the poor. Whatever strength you have, use it for the weak. Whatever hope you have, use it to bring hope to those who live without hope. Speak up for justice and truth, whatever the cost. And above all, pray. And that's how she lives. So she's a kind of a cross between Mother Teresa and Shea Guevara.
0: Let's be honest about it. I mean, uh, Jesus himself was 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 very radical, wasn't he? For his for the time and generation yeah. that that he lived in. Radical with the religious leaders, radical, you know, in how he taught his disciples how to live and and, and to share. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that, that enough of us uh, Break out of if, if you like, because I mean, obviously, there's there's the support of the, of a Christian community in the church, and of course, I haven't asked you about that in in all of the work, whether that be in the Philippines or the other countries that you've been working with. And I know you've been working with many Christian or, or organizations. Has the church been behind you enthusiastically in in what you've been doing?
1: Um. Yeah, I think since. Since my early days as a Christian, I mean, I, I trained as a Baptist minister on route as well, so that was another interesting thing. But what, what I think I've noticed is that whoever we are, we tend to, um, whether we know it or not, we tend to reflect whatever cultural environment we are living in. And in one way, that helps us to connect with people in our own cultural environment, but in another way, it means that sometimes we are really missing the gospel. And So the challenge is how to be counter-cultural in our own society and at the same time relevant so that people can connect with us. Um, I think in my earlier days, I wanted to live as radically as possible, and it created a big barrier between myself and others because I couldn't understand what I was doing. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Whereas now I'm thinking, "How, how, how can we navigate this? So in the West, Christians tend to be very wealthy. And if we improve our lives by getting more money, we tend to use it to buy a newer house or a newer car or a newer motorbike, these things. So we, we, we try to improve our lives through the money that we get. In, in this girl's world in the Philippines, that is totally different to what it is to follow Jesus. So even though she lives on absolute subsistence level, um, she will give away the last centavo, which is the currency. She'll give away the last centavo to someone in need rather than hold that for herself and it means she never saves anything she never tries to save anything she will give away everything she's got for those who are in need and she will just say i know how it is to be poor and my life is in jesus and he knows what i need and it's terrifying if you observe it from the outside um so she really she lives what I see as a radical faith in Jesus where she gives everything rather than just giving what, what she has as extra.
0: So in coming from the West and being into, you know, our our culture as it were, you have a foot in both camps, Nick, don't you? So because of you you've gone into these other cultures yeah. and, and you have the the British mindset as well. How have you brought these two together for yourself and where where does it come into your your coaching, whether that be coaching, you know, or Organisations through the development, through how they operate, or even because I know you do some individual yeah. coaching as well, as well, don't you?
1: That's right.
0: So how One you brought those two. Coaching
1: I do is really trying.
0: Yeah, go go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was, yes, I was going to say a lot of the coaching I do is um, it's similar, to um, like an existential psychological view for those who may be familiar. It's about essentially asking people, so who am I in the world? what's my purpose in the world? Is there a bigger plan that I, I am part of or can be part of? And it's quite fundamental questions about our existence and our purpose in the world. And if, if people have a faith or a Christian and such, and it can be about, well, what, what's God's purpose in my life? And if he has one, then I, I would do well to know it. Um, so a lot of the work is trying to help people to think at a really deep level about their lives and what they want their life to be about and how they can then follow that path of, follow God if that's um, their faith position Um, and a lot of the organizations I work with are humanitarian organizations so at the moment since I worked out their faith position um, and a lot of the organizations I work with are humanitarian organizations so at the moment and since I worked out the other day since Christmas I've been working with people in 15 different countries um, all online but most of them are in disaster response situations trying to respond to emergencies um, and those people, I guess, already share something of that same vision and passion. And in those cases, it's about how can we be really um, life giving and effective in those contexts um, rather than just doing things because that's what organisations do in those situations. So it's about how can we have personal transformation as well as transformation of situations we're working in.
0: Hope FM, Faith Filled Radio. Uh, Just a short burst there of Linda's Farm from uh, Iona. And uh, just so much uh, to share, Nick, and so very little time to do it. Now, we started the interview, you were talking about, you know, out-of-the-box thinking and doing with Jonathan Livingston Segal. And then, of course, being stimulated by the wonderful interventions of David Wilkinson and in that book, The Cross and Switch, that reflected all of that. As you look back and look forward, where are you with all of that now and what can we all learn of that?
1: Yeah, thank you. I think um, one thing that I've been reflecting on myself more recently is that when I read Cross and the Switchblade, I was about 21, and I was stunned by the miracles that David Wilkerson witnessed um, in really, really amazing situations, especially when he's working with people who are really in a hard place. And I was reflecting, as I look back on my own life, I've seen so many of those miracles myself now. Um, So it's quite different to imagine how it could be. It's this experience of, wow, so if if I'm questioned on my faith, I can say, look, this is what I have seen and experienced myself, rather than entering into a theological argument, if you like, with someone. So for me, it's about if we're willing to trust Jesus to live on that edge— and to walk with Jesus as radically as we can, that's when we tend to see the most amazing things happen, and that's when our faith becomes real.
0: Yeah, and I suppose that in all of that, there, there's a price to be paid, not the least of which, of course, which is a willingness to step outside the box and, and to, to live the life rather than just talk about it. And, and of course, Jesus himself said that, that there there is a cost in following him.
1: Yeah, I think when I, when I first became a Christian, I lost most of my friends. <laughs> and that's partly because I think I became so annoying to them by going on about God all the time. <laughs> but I was just stunned by what I was um, seeing and experiencing. Um, but yeah, the cost for me, there's, there has been a cost in terms of following Jesus. I mean, I met with a friend recently. We last met 40 years ago. And we both at the time had a vision to do something to change the world. And he said, you know, Nick, as I listen to your life, he said, I wish I had taken that road less traveled. He said, I've done the safe thing all of my life, and I have a huge pension, um, but I feel like I've kind of wasted my life. And um, and I said, well, you know, I have no pension. <laughs> I've got a very small pension. But I'm glad I've made the choices I've made because of the things that I've experienced in this life, and I want to continue on that path. So, um, yeah, we all make choices, and it's about which life we choose to live. And for mm-hmm. me, the the amazingness of um, walking with Jesus has far outweighed any of the costs to me personally. Mm.
0: And I suppose one of the encouraging things that we've seen, and particularly through these very challenging co- COVID things, is how ordinary people uh, have been stepping up to the mark to do out of the box, not just talking, but actually more appropriately acting, new mm. to help the poor and the isolated and so on. And I, 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 I sincerely hope that we'll never go back uh, to the way things were, that we, we'll we'll learn and keep on, you know, uh, being being concerned and actually being active about the people around us who are so very much in need uh, of all of us. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's, it's it's a mixed picture for me as I look. Um, we on the one hand there have been amazing examples of people looking out and caring for each other. And then on a the macro level, I watch on the news with the rich countries fighting over the vaccine <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, that fills me with despair I just think why what what are we becoming in this kind of selfish grasping for things rather than thinking how can we support those people who are worth nothing we're still thinking how can we put ourselves first so it's a mixed picture for me and I, I hope that we will change. Um, But yeah, I don't hold a utopian vision of the future. I think it's something that we we will try to walk with God as well as we can and to influence what we can and trust that he will do things that are beyond us, things that we can achieve ourselves.
0: Well, Nick, thank you. I never have enough time to, uh, to speak. And when, when this whole thing lifts, I look forward to welcoming you to the South Coast uh, and learning more about your, you. your amazing uh, international experiences. And, of course, if you want to uh, to learn more about about Nick and his work and maybe support him in that or even have a bit of personal coaching yourself, then you go to the Nick's website, which is www.nick-right.com. I got that right, Nick, have I? A- That's correct, yeah. For more inspirational interviews, podcasts and Hope FM best bits, visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.